Resurrection Sunday. Welcome to Calvary Bible Church. Uh, we have a number of visitors in the room today and a lot of good churches in Napa that you could have gone to and worshipped and fellowshiped with the believers, but you chose to come here and we are so grateful for that. And so at this point, we're going to do our weekly scripture reading and then we will continue on with our worship. But uh, this week, we're reading the resurrection account as that is fitting for this day. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 24, but if not, we will have the, the words on the screen. I'm going to drop back and pick up in verse 50 of Luke chapter 23, and then we're going to read all the way through 24, and it's a rather lengthy chapter, but it is so good, so good for us to hear this story afresh and to set our hearts on the resurrection. So we'll be reading from verse 50 and Luke 23. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. And it was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen." Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, 
and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Well, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why... Do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are all witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us continue to sing to our great Savior. He is risen. Amen? Amen. Lord, even now we know that because you have risen from the grave, we have hope in the resurrection, and we do believe that Bob is with you in glory, and we are grateful that we don't mourn as those who have no hope, but we have such hope and expectation because of the resurrection. 
And we do pray for our dear sister who we love very much, that just as you have been so faithful to comfort her and care for her in this time, that you would continue to do that. And that the body of Christ would surround her and love her with the love of Christ and care for her in this time. I pray that you would help her to grieve as that is necessary and good, but to be able to rejoice and celebrate as well. And that through this time she would sense your nearness and your love and affection for her, perhaps like never before. And so we love you, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we ask God now as we turn our attention to the teaching of your word that you would bless this time, that you would minister to all of us as we have come here needing to hear from you, Father, desperate, God, for a touch from you, that we would be encouraged, strengthened, challenged, that you would teach us of yourself, that you would change us, Lord, for we want to be like our Savior, Jesus. We want to be like our Lord and Master. We want to follow him in his ways. And so help us, Lord, to grow thereby as your word goes forth. And may you be exalted, Jesus. This is every Lord's Day we gather to celebrate the resurrection on the first day of the week. But this day in particular, we really celebrate and we just say that we love you and we are so grateful for who you are what you have accomplished, and what you are still to do. We look forward with eager expectation, Lord, because we know you're alive, we know that you will return, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Okay, well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Well, today is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And as such, we take special care to consider and celebrate the resurrection, as we have already done. And the resurrection is foundational to the Christian faith, absolutely foundational. It is a bedrock. It is core. You must believe the resurrection. And there are many who profess to know Christ and claim to be Christians, yet they deny a bodily resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And honestly, you can't even take the name of Christ if you don't even believe that for so many reasons that we will see today. So know that that is an essential core tenet of the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection demonstrates many things for us. It demonstrates that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the Son of God and that he had the ability to lay down his life and take it up again, and that's exactly what he did sealing the validity of his claim that he was indeed the Son of God and that he had power over life and death. The resurrection demonstrates that Jesus really was sinless. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. If he were a sinner, he would have died a sinner's death and remained in the grave. Yet he did not remain in the grave. It was a borrowed tomb, and he rose again because he was a sinless Savior. The resurrection demonstrates that Jesus really satisfied God's wrath, that it was acceptable, that it was pleasing. And I've heard it said that the resurrection is God's amen to Jesus' statement, it is finished. Jesus said, it is finished. I have accomplished the work for which you came. He died. He rose again from the grave. And that is the Father's amen to the finished work of Jesus Christ. He really is the Son of God. He really was sinless, and His sacrifice really satisfied the wrath of God. And the resurrection demonstrates that Jesus, or excuse me, rather, the resurrection is the hope 
of the Christian. It is our hope. Because He lives, we too shall live. Amen? Because He lives, we live right now in Christ by faith, and we know that we will rise again on that great day. If not for the resurrection, we would be in big trouble. If Jesus really did not rise from the grave, we would be in big trouble. And Pastor Dan already referenced some of this, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, it says that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all the most to be pitied. Of all people, most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So praise God for the resurrection and all that it represents. Just as death came, sin came through the rebellion of Adam and his sinful actions, through Christ and his righteous life and his perfect substitutionary death and resurrection, salvation and resurrection has been made possible for us. And it has been made a reality for us. Now, not only is the resurrection our hope for eternity, and it certainly is that, but I'm here to tell you today that the resurrection has real implications for our life right now. The resurrection affects the way that the Christian lives their life. You need to know that. It is intensely practical. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6 verse 1 it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Now listen to this. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into His death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And so this is Paul's entire argument here for striving to walk uprightly, to walk in the light, to honor Christ in our day-to-day -day living. He says, you have died. You have been united with Christ by the Holy Spirit. So His death and resurrection has been accredited to you. Just as He died and rose from the grave, you have too. And you are alive in Him. And just as He has risen and has ascended, we shall too. And that's the hope of the believer, and it affects our life here and now. And that is exactly what Paul is working out in Colossians chapter 3, and that is the text that we are looking at today. That is our text for today. And again, just speaking to the practicality of all of this, in Colossians, Paul spends the first two chapters going deep into the truth of who Christ is, because there were many false teachings going around in Colossae about the person of Christ. So he goes for a deep dive for two chapters about who Christ is and what he has done. And then he turns and he becomes very practical, chapters 3 and 4. 
in light of who Christ is and what He has done, how then should we live our lives? And he starts by directing their focus to the risen Christ, to Christ who is seated in heavenly places. It is from that point that he begins to give practical instruction. So again, I want us to just recognize that the resurrection is very practical for us. It really affects our lives. Paul gives them a perspective shift, a focus reset based on the fact that Jesus has risen and has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So today's sermon, the title is Heavenly Focus That Affects Earthly Living. Having a heavenly focus that really affects the way that we live our lives. It changes us. I guess you could say these are the the practical implications of the resurrection. And so with that, I haven't even turned to Colossians in my Bible yet, excuse me. I'm going to read our text today for us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. May God bless the teaching of His Word. So a few points I want us to consider today as we unpack this text. Point number one, live with your heart focused on Christ. Live with your heart focused on Christ. I'll reread verse 1. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now this actually goes back into chapter 2. He says, If then. So he's pointing back to something that had been said previously. And that is actually Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. So let me read that for us. It says, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That is almost identical to what we have already considered from over in Romans. So that's the exact context of where we are today. Paul is going to give them all of this practical instruction, and he starts by reminding them that they have been baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. The person who is in Christ has died and has risen in Christ. And this, brothers and sisters, is our entry point. It must start there. You can't truly have a heavenly perspective. You can't truly set your heart on the things of Christ, the things above, if you haven't first confessed Christ For salvation, if you haven't first come to Him to receive His forgiveness, if you haven't first opened your heart to Him and asked Him to come in and to to save you, to change you, if you haven't believed on Jesus. And that is where it all begins. And that's the good news of the gospel. No matter who you are, no matter where you have come from, no matter what you have done, there is no one who is too far from the love and the reach of our God. Amen? He paid the highest 
greatest, most beautiful and costly price anyone could ever conceive of. Never in this life and for an eternity of eternities will we be able to understand the depth of that great price. God gave His only Son, His one and only Son, to live a life of obedience to the Father that we have all failed to live and to die a rebel's death on our behalf in our stead. And the promise is to as many as hear and believe and trust Christ and repent of their sins, they shall be saved and forgiven. It's not across the ocean that you have to sail around the world to find it. It's not in the heavens or in the depths of the sea. It's as close as believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Christ and that the Father has raised Him from the grave. Amen? And Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. And that is the entry point. And if you are, if you have trusted Christ, if His Holy Spirit lives within you, then you have been united to His death and His resurrection. You have died. You have risen. And the focus of our life will and must reflect that reality. If we have died and have risen, then we must be mindful of something so much greater, something so much bigger than just here and now. We are to set our minds on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the glory. See, we are living for another purpose. We are living ultimately for another place. This world is not our home. This world has nothing for us. Amen? Where Christ is at the right hand of God. See, that's kingdom language. Jesus came and said, Behold, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because He's the King. And He is risen. And He has been seated at the right hand, His rightful place of authority. And that's all throughout the Scriptures. Hebrews 1 says, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high." Our King is risen, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father from where He reigns and from where He will return. Ephesians 1.20, God raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places. To seek the things where Christ is seated is to be mindful of the kingdom of heaven and subject to the reign of King Jesus. That is the thing that we are fixated on above all other things as our King and His kingdom. And we are subject to His Lordship as those who have bowed the knee to Him, the Lordship of Christ. And we are living for a heavenly King and a heavenly kingdom. We are living for a heavenly King and a heavenly kingdom. Have you ever heard the phrase, a person can be so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good? I've never met one of those. I have yet to meet one of those personally. Maybe that one of those exists out there, but I think it is typically... Uh, vice versa. We are so earthly minded that we are no heavenly good. We've got to repent of that. We have to set our hearts and our minds and our affections on our King who reigns on high. And we are living for another city. Amen? And that is the truth. That is what the, the writer of Hebrews says about Abraham, the father of faith. 
In Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as a, in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God." See, Abraham, he was just a pilgrim here in this earth. He was looking for another place, a city whose hands were not built by men, but whose maker was God. And that is us. We reside here, but this is not our home. We reside here, but this is not where our heart is to be, ultimately. We are citizens of a heavenly city from where we await from our our king and Philippians 3.21 says that very thing. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One time we had a a guest pastor a few years ago teaching here, and he was talking about this very thing. And he said, the way that we live our lives is often like this. This is not our home. We are citizens of another kingdom, yet somehow we really make this the kingdom in which we are fighting for and seeking to live And it's kind of like moving into a a hotel room. You know you're only going to be there for a day or two, but you move in your own furniture and you start hanging up pictures and you make everything exactly the way you would want it to be to be most comfortable for you. But that makes no sense. It's a hotel. You're only there for a couple of days and then you're gone. Well, that's what we do here in this life. Our citizenship is in heaven where our Lord reigns. That is our home This is not our home, yet we make it as comfortable as it can be. And we are really living for this kingdom far too often. Well, Paul says that we're to seek the things above. And the idea here, it speaks of our affection, the desire of our heart and the pursuit of our life. The desire of our hearts and the pursuit of our lives. To seek after Him, Christ, who is above. This is to be the habitual and continual action The idea here is to keep on seeking. Keep on seeking every day by God's grace, striving towards that day when we will stand before Him, pilgrims in this land, one foot in front of the other, serving our King. Every day making it our aim to seek the things that are above. You know, if you're living and investing in a heavenly kingdom, that's where your heart will be. And I don't, want this, this, I don't mean for this to sound like some abstract thing. There are very practical ways in which we live for the kingdom of God. There are very practical ways in which we think about where, where are our resources going? Where is our time spent? How are we using the giftings and the talents that God has given us? What are the things that consume our minds continually? Uh, you know, are those things kingdom-minded or are they earthly minded. And Jesus said, seek first what? The kingdom of God. And all these other things, God's got that. God's going to take care of that. That's not our concern. Well, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where Thieves do not break in and steal. Listen to this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So is our treasure in heaven? Are we building up a heavenly bank account? Or is all of our treasure here? Is everything that our heart desires right here? Are we striving and seeking towards earthly things merely and giving no thought or attention to the things above? If our heart is in heaven where Christ is seated, then we're going to be thinking an awful lot about that. And our lives are going to reflect that. Our lives will reflect that. There are many things here on earth, many earthly treasures. People pursue fitness, business ventures, relationships, sobriety even, hobbies, politics, children, material blessings, eating and drinking. These are not bad things. And these things can be enjoyed to the glory of God. And we can find our proper place in these things And we can give God glory for the things that He's allowed us to enjoy. But these aren't the the best things. These aren't the most important things. These things are not to be the supreme object of our affection. Amen? True or no? If you can't say amen, say oh man. Okay? Oh man. Come on, preacher. Settle down. I'm just getting started. Well, this leads us to our second point. It's not only our hearts, but it is also our minds. Our minds must be focused, not only our hearts. And we really strive to have that balance. You know, we worship the Lord with our hearts and our minds. If we detach and leave our minds at the door and it's all heart, it's all emotion and sentimentalism, that's not good. But if we check our hearts at the door and it's all intellect and all head knowledge, that's not good either. That Both can do damage in that regard, but it's both. We love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen? And not only are we to seek the things above from our hearts, but also with our minds. Look at verse 2. And the point there is live with your minds focused on Christ. Verse 2, it says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above. Now, this too is to be a, an habitual and continual action. Keep on setting. Keep on fixing your mind on things above. This speaks of our reasoning and our thinking, our thought processes. What are we thinking on continually? What are we preoccupied with? I'll just give you an example. Um, I think most of us can relate with the fact that this thing right here, from the time we wake up till the time that we go to bed, is just a pipeline of garbage that's going right into our brains. And it is shaping and affecting the way that we live, is it not? True or no, yes? And I've been convicted about this for a long time, and I thought, Lord, something has got to give. So I decided I'm going to do something practical about it, and I bought this ridiculous little phone right here. Look at this thing. Is that not silly? This does nothing. Call, text, alarm clock, directions, calculator, boom. And so, because I want my mind to be on earthly, or not earthly things, heavenly things, forgive me. And so, it's practical. I'm trying to tell you this is practical, practical stuff. And so, I want instead to get back to the days where I was singing to the Lord in my free time and memorizing scripture in my free time and honoring Christ and having fellowship with the saints and not just taking in everything that the world has to offer. This world is just, oh man, it's just crazy. It's heartbreaking. It's 
scary. It's everything. And I don't think that we were created to know absolutely everything that's going on in everywhere around the world all at once every single day. I mean, and so we're to have our minds set on heavenly things, things that are above. We're to be preoccupied with those things. So how much thought do we give to the things of Christ in any given day? How much time do we give to the things of Christ? How much time do we give in reading the Word of God and praying and listening to sermons and lectures and, and worshiping the Lord, singing to Him and being in fellowship, being engaged in the body of Christ, home group, midweek study, Sunday mornings, using your gifts to serve the Lord and to make an impact? How much time are we giving to the things that matter for eternity? The things that matter for eternity. How much time do we give towards thinking about holiness? Thinking about holiness. The things that are pleasing to God. The things that He desires for our life. And doing inventory. Taking account. Considering, Lord, what is in my life that needs to go? What are the things that I can do that are pleasing to You and helpful to others? Setting our minds on the things above. That's what we do because we have been risen again to the newness of life and our Savior is alive and He is at the right hand of the throne, at the right hand of the Father on high. We are not to be fixated on earthly things over and above heavenly things. And Paul talks about that in Philippians 3. He says in verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul says, look, there are people in your midst who are living their lives as they ought. They are walking in the light, serving the Lord. Find them and follow the pattern that is set. God gives us examples, amen? God give, And that's why we need to be in the body of Christ, so that we can, by God's grace, have people that we connect with and, and, and really seek to try to follow their example. And the goal is to be that example too. We are here to follow the example and to be the example. And Paul said, do that. He says, however, verse 18, there are many who walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction and their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. There are believers, quote unquote, who their God is their belly, their appetites. That's all that they're living for. And their glory is in their shame. They do shameful things and they care nothing about it. And their mind is set purely on earthly things. May that never be. May that never be said of us. Amen? Now listen, let me just say this. This doesn't mean that we can never think about earthly matters. Because we shouldn't neglect our earthly duties, right? We all have responsibilities. We all have God-given responsibilities and duties that we have to do. And those aren't bad things, they're good things, and we want to be good at it. We need to do well. We're to enjoy the earthly blessings that God allows us to have for His glory. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for what? The glory of God. Amen. And so, praise God that we live in a place where we enjoy many things that a lot of the world doesn't enjoy, but we need to give God the glory. So it's not bad to have earthly blessings earthly treasures even. And the reality is, look, we have real life problems to navigate. 
It is not easy down here. It is hard just trying to make it. This world is full of heartache and problems and, and just trying to navigate these things. We can't just you know, stick our hand, heads in the, in the sand and act like there are no issues in the world. We have to be mindful of things and be responsible and try to navigate these things in a Christ-like way. But we're not to be merely preoccupied with earthly matters. For so many people, it's just all that it is. It's all that it is. But the problem is, is that we're constantly preoccupied with earthly matters. We're all about the here and now and never the there and then. And this is a total contradiction for the Christian because we've died to the world. Amen? We have died to this world and we have risen to the newness of life. Therefore, verse 3, or point number 3, rather, live like you died with Christ. Live like you died with Christ. Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You know, a dead person is not overly concerned with what's going on around here. They're dead, right? And so, we have died with Christ to this world and the elemental principles of this world. We've died to that. And there is a real sense in which the old man is dead. Did you know that the side note, don't, should I not, Dan? Okay. Okay, my wife says no. Okay. <laughs> Stupid joke. I'll leave it. I trust my wife's wisdom on this one. You know, you try to throw stuff out there just to kind of reel people back in. All right. There is a real sense in which the old man is dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 5, it says, If we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the spiritual reality that requires action. Now, we are dead to sin, but we're not passive. We must fight sin. As such, we must continually put to death persisting sin in our life. It's one of the implications of the resurrection. We have resurrection power, amen? The same life, that, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus raised Himself, took up His own life, the Bible says that he was the Father raised him, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And so we have the Holy Spirit power to live the resurrected life and to live a life that is pleasing to God and to fight against sin. In April 1983, Robert Vierling of Winchester, Missouri, was found by his wife crushed to death by his 16-foot, 100-pound pet Burmese python. His wife said that he had complete trust in the snake and often played with it in his bed. That's like us in sin. That's like us in sin. We fail to forget this 16-foot, 100-pound snake somehow we think is our friend. This is how we treat sin far too often in our lives. We fail to see and treat sin like the deadly force that it is pastor friend of mine speaking on this very thing said, sin 
hardens our hearts. It sears the conscience. It blinds the mind. It captivates our affections. It succumbs the will. It deceives the soul. It robs our peace. It threatens our assurance. It breaks our communion with God. And it leaves us fruitless and useless in the kingdom of God. You cannot be passive with sin. It will destroy you. In January 2001 in South Africa, there was a report of a man named Lucas Simbanda who was attacked by a python. Simbanda bit the snake below the head, kicked and punched the snake until it released him, and then he killed it with a stick. So that's the way we have to treat sin. That's what the resurrected life looks like, okay? By God's grace and the power of the Spirit, we are kicking, fighting, biting. We are putting sin to death, amen? Because as He is risen, we too are risen. In Romans 8, 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Hallelujah. We've not been left alone. We haven't been told here, go do this. We've been given a comforter. We've been given a helper. Jesus died for us and rose again that He could send the helper, the comforter to us, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has given us resurrection power and life so that we can live the life that we've been called to live. Amen? Amen. Well, last point, live like you are waiting for Christ. Live like you are waiting for Christ. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Christ is your life. I love that. Christ is our life. Is Christ your life? Christ is the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, but is He your life? Is He our life? Is He at the center of it all? Is He our greatest treasure? Is He that which we most delight in? We're told that Christ, who is our life, He will appear. He will appear, and we will appear with Him in glory. And so we are waiting for His return. And we're not waiting passively. We are waiting with anticipation and expectation because we know He's alive and we know that He is going to return. And that affects the way that we live our lives. There are a number of parables that Jesus gives in the latter part of Matthew, I think Matthew 25 and 26. And He talks about these different aspects of waiting. He says that in one sense we are to be servants that are waiting as though the Master could return at any moment. So if we really believed that Jesus was coming back today, would that affect the way that we live our lives? Yes or no? Yes, it would. But then Jesus says that we are to be those servants who expect the Master's return to be long delayed. That would also have implications on our life because we're going to invest. We're going to dig in. We're going to begin to make long-term commitments to try to reach people and invest in the kingdom of God. And so, to be able to do both of those simultaneously, it's fascinating, but that's what we're called to do. He also said that we are to be those servants who are furthering the Master's assets 
until he returns. The parable of the talents. To each of us has been given something to serve the Lord with while he is gone. Each of us has been given something. What are we doing with it? Are we serving the Lord in anticipation of his return? Are we furthering his assets while our master is away? You know, there was that servant who buried the talent that had been given to him. Remember that? You remember the rebuke that he received for that, the harsh rebuke? I have thought to myself that, man, not only do we often bury the talent or the, whatever it is the Lord has given us, we do worse than that. We spend it on ourselves. We spend it on ourselves. But we are to be those servants who are furthering the master's assets while he is gone, using the giftings that he's given us to bless him and to bless the body of Christ and to further his kingdom. Knowing that when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. We don't want to shrink back at his return. We don't want to be ashamed at his return. We want to be overcome with joy and thrilled at his return. Amen? That we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, living like this, living like this, it's, uh, it's called a purifying hope. When we're living in light of eternity, when we're living with our eyes and our hearts set on the things above where Christ is seated, and when we're looking for Christ who is our life to return, that purifies our life. And the Scriptures talk about that very thing. Again, in Philippians 3.20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. We look forward to the day when He comes and He transforms us. 1 John 3, 2 and 3, Beloved, now we are children of God. Right now we are children of God if you have trusted Christ. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. That is a mystery to us. What is it going to be like on that day when we see our Savior face to face? What will we be like? So many questions that we have. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Well, since our hearts and our minds are set on Christ, we have died with Christ and are awaiting our King. We are to fight against that which displeases Him, and we are to set our hearts and minds on those things which matter, things in eternity, things that are above. Amen? And we can do that by the power of His Holy Spirit. And so I just want us again to reflect upon and remember afresh the glories of the resurrection. The glories of the resurrection and all the implications, all the practical applications that flow out of that, and we have that. Amen? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. You're holy. There's none like you. You are Lord, Savior, and King, yet you call us friend. You died, Lord, you died a rebel's death, suffering the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. And you rose again, Lord, conquering death, so that in you we too would rise. And even now in this life, Lord, we have life everlasting, and we have relationship with you. And God is our Father, and the Holy Spirit is our helper. 
Praise you, Lord. Thank you for the confidence and the hope that we have because of the resurrection. I pray that it would shape every aspect of our lives, all of us here. We wouldn't just hear this and amen it and be convicted by it and go on out and continue to give ourselves to this world, but that we would rise above that, that we would transcend that, that our eyes and our hearts would be fixed on you, God, on the glories of Christ, on those things that truly matter. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up your countenance and give you peace. He is risen. Amen? Amen. All right. Go in peace. God bless.